chapter twelve of the ship of stars this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the ship of stars by arthur quiller couch chapter twelve taffy's childhood comes to an end the summer passed there was a talk in the early part of it that the bishop would be coming next spring to consecrate the restored church and hold a confirmation service taffia and honoria were to be confirmed and early in august mr raymond began to set apart an hour each day for preparing them in a week or two the boy's head was full of religion he spent much of his time in the church watching the carpenter at work upon the new seats his mind ran on the story of samuel and he wished his mother had followed hannah's example and dedicated him to god he had a suspicion that god would be angry with her for not doing so he did not observe that as the autumn crept on a shadow gathered on humility's face one sunday the old squire did not come to church and again on the next wednesday at the harvest festival honoria sat alone in the tradinus pew the shadow was on his mother's face as he chatted about this on their way home to the parsonage but the boy did not perceive it he loved his parents but their lives lay outside his own and their sayings and doings passed him like a vain show he walked in the separate world of childhood and it seemed an enormous world yet though a few weeks were to bring him abruptly to the end of it but just before he came to the precipice he was given a glimpse of the real world and of a world beyond that far more splendid and romantic than any region of his dreams the children had no lessons during christmas or for three weeks after on the last morning before the holidays george brought a letter from mr raymond who read it considered for a while and laid it among his papers it's an invitation george announced in a whisper i wonder if he'll let you come where whispered taffy up to plymouth to the pantomime what's that oh clowns and girls dressed up like boys and policemen on slides and that sort of thing taffy sat bewildered he vaguely remembered plymouth as a mass of roofs seen from the train as it drew up for a minute or two on a high bridge someone in the railway carriage had talked of an engine called brutus which it appeared had lately run away and crashed into the cloak-room at the end of the platform he still thought of railway engines as big blundering animals with wills of their own and of plymouth as a town rendered insecure by their vagaries but the idea that its roofs covered girls dressed up like boys and policemen on slides was new to him and pleasant on the whole though daunting will you give my thanks to sir harry said mr raymond after lessons and tell him that taffy may go so on new year's day taffy found himself in plymouth it was an experience which he could never fit into his life except as a gaudy interlude for when he awoke and looked back upon it he was no longer the boy who had climbed up beside sir harry and behind sir harry's restless pair of bays the world began with that drive to the station began again in the train began again as they stepped out on the pavement at plymouth just as a company of scarlet-coated soldiers came down the roadway with a din of brazen music the crowd the shops the vast hotel completely dazed him and he seriously accepted the waiter in his black suit and big white shirt-front as a contribution to the fun of the entertainment we must dine early sir harry announced at lunch the pantomime begins at seven isn't isn't this the pantomime taffy stammered george giggled sir harry set down his glass of claret stared at the boy and broke into musical laughter 
taffy perceived he had made some ridiculous mistake and blushed furiously god bless the child the pantomime's at the theatre oh taffy recalled the canvas booth and wheezy cornet of his early days with a chill of disappointment but with george at his side it was impossible to be anything but happy after lunch they sallied out and it would have been hard to choose the gayest of the three sir harry's radiant good temper seemed to gild the streets he took the boys up to the hoe and pointed out the warships he whisked them into the camera obscura thence to the citadel where they watched a squad of recruits at drill thence to the barbican where the trawling fleet lay packed like herring and the shops were full of rope and oilskin suits and marine instruments and dirty children rolled about the roadway between the legs of sea-booted fishermen and so up to the town again where he lingered in the most obliging manner while the boys stared into the fishing-tackle shops and toy-shops on the way he led them up a narrow passage and into a curious room where fifteen or twenty men were drinking and talking at the top of their voices the most of them seemed to know sir harry well and greeted him with an odd mixture of respect and familiarity their talk was full of mysterious names and expressions and taffy thought at first they must be freemasons the more point to point was a walk-over for the milkman lapidary was scratched which left it a soft thing unless sir harry fancied a fox-catcher like nursery governess in which case billy behind the bar would do as much business as he liked at six to one after a while taffy discovered they were talking about horses and wondered why they should meet to discuss horses in a dingy room up a back-yard youngster of yours is growin sir said a red-faced man who's his stable companion taffy was introduced and to his embarrassment sir harry began to relate his ridiculous mistake at lunch the men roared with laughter he made another quite as ridiculous at the pastry cook's where sir harry ordered tea what'll you take with it call for what you like only don't poison yourselves taffy referring his gaze from the buns and confections on the counter to the card in his hands which was inscribed with words in unknown tongues made a bold plunge and announced that he would take a maraschino this tickled sir harry mightily he ordered the waitress with a wink to bring the young gentleman a maraschino and taffy who had expected something in the shape of a macaroon was confronted with a tiny glass of a pale liquor which when tasted in the most surprising manner put sunshine into his stomach and brought tears into his eyes but under sir harry's quizzical gaze he swallowed it down bravely and sat gasping and blinking it may have been that the maraschino induced a haze upon the rest of the afternoon the gas-lamps were lit when they left the pastry-cooks and entered a haberdasher's where taffy without knowing why was fitted with a pair of white kid gloves of dinner at the hotel he remembered nothing except that the candles on the tables had red shades of which the silverware gave funny reflections that the same waiter flitted about in the penumbra and that sir harry who was dressed like the waiter said wake up young maraschino do you take your coffee black it's usually pale brown at home answered taffy at which sir harry laughed again black will suit you better to-night he said and poured out a small cupful which taffy drank and found exceedingly nasty and a moment later he was wide awake and the three were following a young woman along a passage which seemed to run in a complete circle the young woman flung open a door they entered a little room with a balcony in front and the first glorious vision broke on the child with a blaze of light a crash of music and the murmur of hundreds of voices faces 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 mounting from the pit below them up and up to the sky-blue ceiling where painted goddesses danced and scattered pink roses around the enormous castle fauns piping on the great curtain fiddles sawing in the orchestra beneath 
ladies in gay silks and jewels leaning over the gilt balconies opposite which were real and which a vision only he turned helplessly to george and sir harry yes they were real but what of nanazaboulot and the sandhills in the little parsonage to which that very morning he had turned to wave his handkerchief a bell rang and the curtain rose upon a company of russet brown elves dancing in a green wood the play was jack the giant killer but taffy who knew the story in the book by heart found the story on the stage almost meaningless that mattered nothing it was the world the new and unimagined world stretching deeper and still deeper as the scenes were lifted a world in which solid walls crumbled and forests melted and loveliness broke through the ruins unfolding like a rose it was this that seized on the child's heart until he could have wept for its mere beauty often he had sought out the trout pools on the moors behind the towans and lying at full length had watched the fish moving between the stones and water plants and watching through a summer's afternoon had longed to change places with them and glide through their grottoes or anchor among the reed stalks and let the ripple run over him as long back as he could remember all beautiful sights had awakened this ache this longing oh that i were where i would be then would i be where i am not for where i am i would not be and where i would be i cannot it seemed to him that these bright beings on the stage had broken through the barriers had stepped beyond the flaming ramparts and were happy their horseplay at which george laughed so immoderately called to taffy to come and be happy too and when jack the giant killer changed to jack in the beanstalk and went in the transformation scene a real beanstalk grew and unfolded its leaves and each leaf revealed a fairy seated with the limelight flashing on star and jewelled wand the longing became unbearable the scene passed in a minute the clown and pantaloon came on and presently sir harry saw taffy's shoulders shaking and set it down to laughter at the harlequinade he could not see the child's face but perhaps the queerest event of the evening when taffy came to review his recollections was this he must have fallen into a stupor on leaving the theatre for when he awoke he found himself on a couch in a gaslit room with george beside him and sir harry was shaking him by the collar and saying god bless the children i thought they were in bed hours ago a man the same who had talked about racehorses that afternoon was standing by the table on which a quantity of cards lay scattered among the drinking glasses and he laughed at this and his laugh sounded just like the rustling of paper it's all very well began sir harry but checked himself and lit a candle and led the two boys off shivering to bed the next morning too had its surprises to begin with sir harry announced at breakfast that he must go and buy a horse he might be an hour or two over the business and meanwhile the boys had better go out into the town and enjoy themselves perhaps a sovereign apiece might help them taffy who had never in his life possessed more than a shilling was staring at the gold piece in his hand when the door opened and sir harry's horse-racing friend came in to breakfast and nodded good morning pity you're leaving to-day he said as he took his seat at a table hard by them my revenge must wait sir harry answered it seemed a cold-blooded thing to be said so carelessly taffy wondered if sir harry's search for a horse had anything to do with this revenge and the notion haunted him in the intervals of his morning's shopping but how to lay out his sovereign that was the first question george who within ten minutes had settled his own problem by purchasing a doubtful fox terrier of the boots of the hotel saw no difficulty the boots had another pup for sale one of the same litter but i want something for mother and the others and honoria botheration i've forgotten honoria and now the money's gone never mind she can have my pup oh said taffy ruefully then she won't think much of my present yes she will suppose you buy a collar for him you can get one for five shillings they found a saddler's and chose the dog collar which came to four shillings and for eighteen pence the shopman agreed to have honoria 
from taffy engraved on it within an hour humility's present was chosen with surprising ease a large framed photograph of the bishop of exeter price six shillings i don't suppose objected george your mother cares much for the bishop of exeter oh yes she does said taffy he's coming to confirm us next spring besides he added with one of those flashes of wisdom which surely he derived from her mother won't care what it is so long as she is remembered and it costs more than the collar this left him with eight and sixpence and for three and sixpence he bought a work-box for his grandmother with a view of plymouth hoe on the lid but now came the crux what should he get for his father it must be a book george suggested but what kind of a book he has so many something in latin the bookseller's window was filled with yellow-backed novels and toy-books which obviously would not do so they marched in and demanded a book suitable for a clergyman who had a good many books already a middle-aged clergyman george added you can't go far wrong with this suggested the bookseller producing crockford's clerical directory for the current year but this was too expensive and said taffy i think he would rather have something in latin the bookseller rubbed his chin went to his shelves and took down a small de imitatione christi bound in limp calf you can't go wrong with this either he assured them so taffy paid down his money just as the boys reached the hotel sir harry drove up in a cab and five minutes later they were all rattling off to the railway station taffy eyed the cab horse curiously never doubting it to be sir harry's new purchase and was extremely surprised when the cabman whipped it up and trotted off after receiving his money too but in the bustle there was no time to ask questions it was about three in the afternoon and the sun already low in the southwest when they came in sight of the cross-roads and sir harry pulled up his bays and there on the green by the signpost stood mrs raymond she caught taffy in her arms and hugged him till he felt ashamed and glanced around to see if the others were looking but the phaeton was bowling away down the road but why are you here mother mrs raymond gazed a while after the carriage before speaking your father had to be at the church she said but there's no service he broke off see what i've brought for you and he pulled out the portrait do you know who it is humility thanked him and kissed him passionately there was something odd with her this afternoon don't you like your present darling it is beautiful she stooped and kissed him again passionately i've a present for father too a book why are you walking so fast in a little while he asked again why are you walking so fast i-i thought you would be wanting your tea mayn't i take father his book first she did not answer but mayn't i he persisted they had reached the garden gate humility seemed to hesitate yes go she said at length and he ran with the day in the tatione christi under his arm as he came within view of the church he saw a knot of men gathered about the door they were pulling something out from the porch he heard the noise of hammering and squire moyle at the back of the crowd was shouting at the top of his voice the church is yours is it i'll see about that pitch out the furniture my billies that's mine anyway still the hammers sounded within the church don't believe in sudden convarsion don't he i reckon you will when you look round your church bishop coming to consecrate it is he consecrate my furniture i'll see you and your bishop to blazes first a heap of shattered timber came flying through the porch your church hey your church the crowd fell back and mr raymond stood in the doorway between bill udy and jim the huntsman bill udy held a brazen ewer and patten and jim a hammer and mr raymond had a hand on one shoulder of each for a moment there was silence as taffy came running through the lich gate a man who had been sitting on a flat tombstone and watching stood up and touched his arm it was jacky pasco the bryanite best go back he said tis a wished poor job of it 
taffy halted for a moment the squire's voice had risen to a sudden scream he sputtered as he pointed at mr raymond there he is neighbours get behind the varmint somebody and stop this earth calls hisself a minister of god calls it his church mr raymond took his hands off the men's shoulders and walked straight up to him not my church he said aloud and distinctly god's church he stretched out an arm taffy running up supposed it stretched out to strike father but mr raymond's palm was open as he lifted it over the squire's head god's church he repeated in whose service sir i defy you go or if you will and have the courage come and stand while i kneel amid the ruin you have done and pray god to judge between us he paused with his eyes on the squire's you dare not i see go poor coward and plan what mischief you will only now leave me in peace a little he took the boy's hand and they passed into the church together no one followed hand in hand they stood before the dismantled chancel taffy heard the sound of shuffling feet on the walk outside and looked up into mr raymond's face father kiss me sonny the day imatione christi slipped from taffy's fingers and fell upon the chancel step so his childhood ended End of chapter twelve